This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstiles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First World Collectibles, If you're into nerd culture, if you're into sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20 to receive 20% off. They got everything from comic books to sports memorabilia, signed wrestling memorabilia from pictures to to magazines to old videotapes. You name it, they got it. Best thing is they ship worldwide. Even better, they update daily. So please visit them at firstrow.ca. If you're into video games and books, please visit bossfightbooks.com for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Galaga, Super Mario Brothers 2, Metal Gear Solid, and so many others. Everything you see on their websites available in paperback and ebook format. So please check them out at bossfightbooks.com. If you're looking for the best supplements and CBD products, please visit LegacySubs.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST to receive 10% off. They got everything from sleep aid to muscle building, anything you need or want that makes you feel great, makes you look great. They got it. They are Legacy Sports Nutrition at LegacySubs.com. And if you want to support me directly, you can visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's right there in the description. Click on that link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from t-shirts to hoodies, travel mugs, phone cases, anything you need or want. It is there, but the easiest thing, the most important thing, the best thing to support the show is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, most specifically Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week, I'm joined by a wrestling legend and pioneer. You may remember her for her time in world-class championship wrestling, Jim Crockett Promotions, NWA, and UWF, where she wrestled and was the valet for the likes of... Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, and Dusty Rhodes, to name just a few. She is the perfect 10, Baby Doll. Hey, how is it? How are everyone? Thank you. No, thank you for being here. It is This is an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so very much. Right off the bat, before we start anything, I know we touched on it a bit before, but just so the listeners know, being up here in Toronto, Canada, I didn't get really the territory wrestling. So I didn't get that like late 70s, to mid late 80s awesome territory wrestling all i heard was stories all i could go back and 
review tapes, but it's not the same as living in that era, obviously. So this is going to be a learning experience for me, hopefully. I just hope that I don't sound like a rookie because that's not my genre. Like, you know, I grew up with WWF, honestly. Well, I mean, that's one thing I have to thank WWE for and Vince and Stephanie and Hunter is because they have uh, bought up all the libraries and made it available for people like yourself and even like my daughters who weren't um, alive at that time that they can go back and watch mom's work, you know, and see (laughs) and see what we all got to do it. Um, I mean, a lot of people are down on WWF for doing that, but then I look at like how many people have been able to see our product and really get into it and see the um, like the weekly territory shows and how right. they built up angles and were able to, instead of just whatever you saw that week on TV, that was it, where we were actually able to do three and four months to build up a story and get the interest in it. And it was just... It's like what I said on some of the other podcasts and, and the other shows. It was just a magical time. It was just people believed our product. Right. They they believed our characters. It was like a, a, a soap opera with violence, and <laughs> it was um, it was it was just I was so blessed to be at like the right place at the right time before everything just completely did a one eighty. Like the ones things that always stand out going back watching is like you said, the storylines, awesome. And every territory had something different to offer. It wasn't like mm-hmm. at one period in the wrestling world where it was all cookie cutter type of stuff. Like, you know what I mean? And weren't as now you see so many different types of genres and subgenres too. But back then it was right. like you have the serious, you have like the heel territory, you have the face territory. Like it was so many different territories. And because there was no internet, you could hop from territory and tell different stories or even the same story if you needed to right right the only thing that kind of linked us all were the wrestling magazines right and that kind of that gave you the insight of like what was going on in the rest of the world because this was before cable um (laughs) before every before everyone knew everything and i was i remember like it was like the early 80s when my town when lubbock got cable so i was calling cox cable every every month to see if my (laughs) house was available for um so i could get hooked up because i wanted to watch tbs wrestling at 605 mm. and it was just no one knew i mean they wanted to know but the kayfabe was definitely alive and and uh, thriving and a wrestler could work three months in one territory and then pack up and go three months to another territory and be fresh and new make a bunch of money and then go somewhere else it was um Totally, it was a, a different time and a different genre, and it was just, um, it, we, it could be done now, that's for sure. And that's the one thing I'm so jealous and I wish I was able to experience was the kayfabe era and be a part of that audience thinking everything was like non-scripted like you know what i mean it's just one thing that you can never bring back and i understand you have to evolve and you have to sort of break the curtain open and all that fun stuff to to get to where we're at today and i love having access to like backstage stuff and because i think not putting like wrestlers not to put them on a pedestal but like breaking back and seeing who they really are as human beings versus their actual characters is fun to for for the fans right well, it's, it's all in, like, the characters and believing and thinking that that guy is really going to kick your ass or <laughs> blow green mist or, right. you know, go off on a tangent. 
you know, just, just that mystery of like, oh my gosh, is, you know, is it real? Is it not real? The whole thing. So it, it was just different. And what's kind of funny is that like my dad promoted wrestling for, oh my gosh, from like 30 years, almost 30 years wow. in the same, in, in Lubbock. Okay. So I really got to see everything evolved. Well, whenever I started, you know, everybody had kind of the entrance music was starting like with the free birds gotcha. and different things like that. And he hated the entrance music. Really? He hated it because he was like, if I can't, if you can't get over just walking to the ring, oh. then you should be going to the ring. So okay. it, it was just funny seeing how him gripe and bitch about how much the business <laughs> changed into the eighties while so many people just absolutely love the 80s like it was the best of the best so it was interesting for me to kind of remember everything that my dad said you know of how he hated how the business was evolving but it actually evolved into probably one of the best times ever in professional wrestling and i agree like on last week's episode i had ken anderson on and he says that that's his sort of like his favorite time in wrestling was like that 80s early 80s to 90s where you sort of saw the pump and circumstance starting to show up in wrestling like you know what i mean and but i see both sides because i i'll never forget this I, when i started watching wrestling when i was young it was like the early stages of wrestlemania so yes all all the entrance musics were in effect and all that but the one person that i always remember for some reason that never had an entrance music till maybe really late in his career when he couldn't even wrestle was andre the giant he would just come out, no music, and that's it. And you knew this guy was going to, you know, do something magical in the ring every time he stepped in there. So I sort of got that hint, right. too. But it's, I don't know, I just love entrance music. It just adds that little thing to a wrestler, I think. Right, right. But then Andre just walking out of the dressing room and just standing there is so impressive. Just on his own, he really didn't need it. So No kidding, right? Well, you mentioned it. So your dad was a promoter. Was he also, too, a wrestler? Right. Um, it's it's both of my parents wrestled. Oh wow! Okay. I was I was uh, both of my husbands have been wrestlers. Uh, my first husband okay. Sam Houston right. and Chad is my husband now. Okay. Um, my brother in law, my sister in law, my daughter wrestles. It's wow. just a family affair. That's for sure. Oh my God, that's so cool. So I, I saw, obviously, you've done interviews and stuff in the past where your parents really didn't smarten you up when you started wrestling yourself. Like, how is that growing up, again, as a child, being a child in the business, not knowing what's really going on? It was, wrestling was a business. And it was, like, k was sacred. Like, whenever my brother and I would set up a ring, we were not allowed to go play in the ring. We couldn't go oh. take bumps. We couldn't go like okay. do somersaults or jump off the ropes or anything. Right. We could go in and sweep off the mat, but anything else was disrespectful to the business and ah. was just absolutely not allowed. I mean, we would get yelled at. And <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't want to push it much further than that, but it was that was our sanctuary. That was a pulpit. That was where we made money. So instead of right. being like happy fun times where I've, I've seen like guys have matches with like nine year olds, <laughs> which I guess if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But for sure. the way that I was taught and the way that I was brought up, that would have never happened. Never, never, never. Because it smartens everybody up and it, and it really makes a mockery of our business sure. of what it really is. And, and yeah, it's it's like violent theater. <laughs> but I mean, 
I mean, we had to, like with spot shows, like if we went to another town right. and had to set up the ring, we had to have everything set up by one o'clock in the afternoon. And then there was kind of the dead time between like one and six before the people started coming in. That way, if something went wrong with a ring or we weren't able to set up mm. or like something wasn't done, right. then we had kind of that little bit of, of time to get it right because Never once would Dad have had the uh, a show and not had everything set up 100% before the people came in. Because that's disrespectful. I mean, I, I've sure. been to a couple of shows where, you know, you get there an hour before the event and they're just now setting up the ring. Mm. And it's just so chaotic. It's just, it doesn't make any, it didn't make any sense whenever I saw it. Right. You know, because you, you want to have it ready to go in people walk in of course and for my for my dad i mean he ran a weekly show for almost 30 years wow. and and when you think that you know how many shows we did how many rings we set up mm. how many times we set up 640 ringside seats right i mean it was a business and it was very serious no no kidding so when did you tell your parents you wanted to be a wrestler um, whenever I was going to go to Dallas, I had made the phone call oh. to uh, David Manning okay. and had pitched the idea that I could uh, work with Gino. They were looking for a bodyguard for him, and I had uh, stepped off with my dad's proverbial black book <laughs> and gotten the phone numbers and called the Dallas office, called the Sportatorium, and Manning answered the phone, and I gave him the idea, and he called me back, and that was one of the deals was just like, who are, who's going to tell your parents that you're going to join us? Right. Well, at the time I was uh, going to school, I, I had just a couple of weeks to go for, to be an EMT. Okay. And um, they didn't take it very well, of really? course, because I'd already had like four years of college. And okay. My, my goal at that time was I was going to be an EMT. And then I was going to go up to Colorado and do ski patrol like during the winter time, and then be a park ranger during the summertime. Right. But I mean, if the chance came, I was going to get in professional wrestling no matter what. I mean, that was just, it was in my DNA. It was in my blood. It was going to happen. It's so funny that the old school generation's parents didn't want their kids getting into wrestling, but today's generation wants their kids to get into wrestling. It's just funny how it just cycles, right? <laughs> Well, it, it's totally different. I mean, back then, That's you know, you, if you were successful, you were on the road 50 days a year. You oh. might be successful, you not road trips were incredible, you know, especially in, in some of the territories like Watts, where it was not unusual to do 500 miles every day to get wow. to a town and then another 500 miles to get to another town. It was just, it was crazy, but it was that was part of the business. That was part of being it. That was part of the freedom sure. of pretty much doing whatever you want, whenever you wanted. You just had to be at the building at a certain time, you know, that they had, you know, like if the show started at eight, usually you had to be at the building like five thirty, six o'clock. Otherwise the rest of the time was yours. Oh my God. Okay. So how about this question? Cause obviously everyone knows back then women just weren't seen as the main attractions or main stars. Unfortunately, was there any time, in your career, or even when you first started, when you felt like you didn't get a fair shake for just being a woman? Hmm. Let me think. Not really, because being the only girl okay. in the dressing room for a long time, for being right. the only girl in the roster for like almost a year with Crockett, it, um, 
it was a pretty sweet spot, you yeah. know, because being the only one, I, I didn't know I was a trailblazer, but I actually right. did a lot of things that no girl had ever done before. Wow. I, I would bet at, at this point that I can honestly say, I don't think there's ever been a female in the business that had more heat than I did in 1985. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, people were, were, running across the arena to, to beat me up. I had like a pregnant woman uh, grab my hair. I had uh, a, a sailor up in Hampton, Virginia, you know, hit me across my chest so hard that it actually broke skin. I was bleeding. No. We had to, Kelly and I had to fight our ways to the ring and back, especially back in the security. It was, it was literally us against like probably 200 people fighting our ways back. And, you know, they pull my hair, they spit on me, they throw stuff. But I knew if it was hard getting back to the dressing room, mm-hmm. I had done my job. Right? <laughs> no kidding. And you said it. Like, you're, you're a trailblazer. Like, why do you think that you haven't gotten your so-called flowers and you're not recognized as being one of, like, the pioneers of women's wrestling, pretty much? In, in valet status, obviously. Um, I actually do. I mean, like, with wrestling fans and especially with the wrestlers and the guys okay. that I worked with. Well, yeah, of course. They know what I did. Mm-hmm. They absolutely know what I did. Now, whether WWE or any other promotion wants to uh, acknowledge that, that's on them. But I had heard that WWE had looked at me, but they didn't think that um, they thought I was more of a territory type uh, oh, character, really? that I would only be popular in the South, that I couldn't morph into anything different. Okay. But, you know, that's on them. And, but right. I, I look at my career, it was stellar. There was no one better than I was. There was, there's no one better than I. No one has done anything that I did. I mean, I look at the the champions that I worked with. Like right. Gino had the Texas Heavyweight Championship. He had the Six Man Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with Tully. He had the TV title. He had the national <laughs> title. Right. I worked with Flair. He had the world's title. And then I worked with Zabisco, and he had the Western States title. That's right. And this is all in a series of about two and a half years of, of my career. Wow. And so when you look at the time that I was in the business, I wasn't in there very long. I mean, I started Labor Day of 84. I worked, let me see, September, October, November, part of December. So three and a half months, I worked mm. with Dallas. I had uh, two shows. I had a uh, Cotton Bowl. I had Sold Out Reunion Arena. I had... Uh, like a whole plethora of, of, of shows. And then I had, um, with Crockett, I worked from 85 to like mid 86 and then just a couple of months with Zabisco. So basically like two and a half years. Wow. And yeah, and you named it a who's who, like all hall of famers pretty much at this point and stuff like that. So, okay. How about this? So who is, are you officially the first woman valet to come out with, with a wrestler or who was the first one? Oh no there were valet there were valets before i because gorgeous george jr had a valet that's right uh nelson royal had valets okay. um adrian adon or um, adrian street had miss linda there were several valets before me but i was just the one that was like national and um at that time i mean it was like worldwide because Whenever I worked for World Class, mm. they were the first ones that had the satellite worldwide, oh. which meant that, I mean, 
at that time in like 84, I was worldwide. But those women, were they like a trained wrestler like you or did they get in the ring? Were they physical as well or were they just so-called eye candy at the time? They were they were strictly like valets. They might get involved in a finish or something sure. like that, but they weren't as athletic as I am. I think maybe right. uh, Miss Linda okay. with Adrian Street had uh, several like encounters and things like that. And she was athletic, but it wasn't anything like what I did. Okay, how about this again? You, Hall of Famers all across the board that you've valeted up and down. What was some of the stuff that you've learned from? just being in the presence of those sort of Hall of Famers throughout your career? Well, like from Jake, I learned how to be a heel. I mean, okay. the many road trips that we took with Dallas, just listening, you know, like that's one of the, the cool things about being a wrestler and being on the road is you right. actually get to sit in the car with someone and pick their brain and listen and listen to conversations. And if you just be quiet and either, cause I drove a lot of it, you know, just kind of just be quiet and just absorb <laughs> everything <laughs> that they're saying. Um, I learned everything from them, you know, cause really? okay. you, you take a little bit from here and a little bit from there. And, right. you know, I copied a lot of stuff from like sunshine, which she was actually probably a year and a half before I was in Dallas. Okay. Um, and I remember my dad saying that how pretty she was and how you could read the match by her face. I said, just, oh. and he was just like, just watch her. You, the whole match is in her face and she was selling and, and happy and the whole thing. And, and she just really put the match over. I copied a lot from her also. Oh, look at that. You see. Okay. So how about this? Not to put you on the spot or anything, but out of everyone that you managed, which ones? Which wrestler was the one you had your like your favorite moments with throughout your career? Oh, absolutely had had to be Tully. We okay. we clicked. We spent a whole year together. Right. Um, a lot of miles on the road. A lot of a lot of just time together, just hanging out, and um, it it was just Dusty. Dusty knew what he was doing when he put us together. Mm. It's so true. Everyone, thank God now, like, obviously everyone knows, like, the type of booking capabilities Dusty has. But back in today, really, people didn't know until, again, everything got revealed. But he's, I think he's on the level, if not better, than being a booker than he was an actual wrestler, which is mind-boggling to even think. Right. Um, Dusty was pure genius. Exactly. And I was so lucky whenever i i had because i had two dates in dallas um it was christmas day and the day after it was miami and tampa right and whenever i met dusty and tully and they were actually looking for a girl to put with tully just to give him that little extra sure and they had they i don't think they really knew what they were looking for okay but they were looking for something and then whenever they saw me it just all clicked because now that I can look back and I can kind of see like whenever I, cause Dusty was sitting in the chair and mm. then Tully was standing right next to him going over their match. And whenever I was talking to them and kind of giving them the spiel of like, Hey, what about me? And, you know, and, and they, whenever they first were looking were for a girl for Tully, they mm -hmm. were going to try and get sunshine. Well, whenever I said that I'd been working in Dallas and the whole thing, they kind of thought that I was that character. Well, it turned out I was, and I was something right. totally different. But it just, whenever I had my match with Stella, whenever I was walking to the ring, I, I looked out the corner of my eye, and Dusty is like standing outside of his dressing room door. Mm -hmm. 
and Tully is standing outside of his dressing room door, and they're like separated, you know, by the length of the building. Right. And whenever I had my match, I thought if they're still standing there, I've got the job. Right. So after my match, I just kind of glanced over, and they're both standing there, and I was like, yes, I've got oh, it. So awesome. it's just the right place at the right time. Sure. Dusty was so creative. I was able to do a lot of vignettes with him, like we did Floyd the Horse and the workouts. Okay. And, different, and you know, like where we um, – uh, uh, tied up cornet to the back of the bumper and yes. the whole thing. It's just I, I gave him a lot to work with because I was uh, I wasn't like the typical girl. I'm big and I'm athletic and mm-hmm. you know I can stand toe to toe with anybody and I wasn't afraid to get heat. No, exactly. Well, speaking of heat, you started off as a heel but turned face. What did you enjoy more, being a heel or a face? Oh, being a heel, absolutely. I mean, a face is 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 good but then it's a lot of work because whenever you go to the store you've got to have your makeup on you've got to look like that character otherwise they're very disappointed (laughs) as a heel i could go put on sunglasses and just go i didn't have to talk to anybody because that was in character like why would i want to talk to anyone so being a heel it it was tougher mentally and physically Mm. because you're you're constantly getting made fun of you know like baby dog right. and you're not the perfect 10 you're the perfect zero oh, and you know, the constant you know the fans are all the time sure you know, it's 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 hard with social media now but when Oof. you've got twenty two thousand people chanting at you and calling you names and the whole thing and you're ugly and you're fat and you're just Jesus. this and that it, it's a lot for especially a 20 year old girl to take in i mean right? it's you had to have a really thick skin. Yeah, exactly. Because, like you said, now, like back then, everyone thought it was real. So you know these people actually meant it, like towards your character. Obviously, not you personally, right? Because they don't know you personally. Right. But then you start, like you said, because you guys kept kayfabe, and it was like everyone went to certain, like so long ex- extremes to keep in character that you start believing you're that right. person. So you take it personal at one point, right? Because again, when you're that young, it's true. You don't know any better. It, it's it's crazy what some of you guys had to go through back in the day. Wow. Well, whenever Dusty, we, we were, whenever I first started working with, with Tully, uh, Dusty and I did a standoff and we're face to face and we're like back and forth, back and forth, talking smack. And I, I slapped him. Well, then out of reaction, he slaps me back. Right. I see, I've seen this. He was yeah. afraid at the time because he said, this might turn me heel. And he's, oh. he knew that I had enough heat oh. that it wouldn't happen. And sure enough, if you look at the crowd reaction, right. and I didn't see this until just a couple of years ago, okay. where women are yelling at Dusty to hit her again, <laughs> hit her again. That's and they've got cigarettes hanging out of their mouths and the whole thing. <laughs> What woman yells at a at a man to hit what? another woman? Like hit her again, hit her again. That it was it was that brutal. It was that, you know that I was that hated that they yeah. It was crazy. It was crazy heat. It is crazy, my good. And you brought up two stories that I want to touch on because they were brought up with your appearance on Tales from the Territories. But okay, quickly, how about this? How how did that, all that get involved? Like, uh, how was it pitched to you? Did they reach out to you? And did you know who was going to be at the roundtable before you showed up? Um, I had done two other episodes. I had been involved with them before because okay. I'd done the uh, twenty, the thirty for thirty with Flair was one of the documentaries that I was able to be on. Gotcha. And then I was on the dark side 
with the Smith family. Oh, and, okay. Uh, I had had some little then uh, some little parts with Gino. I noticed that they'd used a lot of pictures with that. Okay. Um, they contacted me because I had been uh, I had worked with them before. They knew that I was available. Uh, I don't know if it was Crockett or Ricky Morton. Might have oh. even been Arn that had suggested uh, using me. Awesome. But that's just part of it. I mean, that's part of, like, with my recognition, mm-hmm. is that the guys that I that I worked with was that they're always going, hey, let's get baby doll in on this. Let's get baby doll awesome. in, this, in on this. Which, I mean, that's that's such a compliment to me that, you know, after all this time that they, that they want to work with me and that they want to be involved. I had no idea at the very first who they were going to get. Oh. I don't think it was until about maybe two weeks okay. beforehand. It was supposed to be Ricky Morton, uh, David Crockett, mm-hmm. Arn Anderson, Nikita Koloff, and oh. myself. Okay. But Nikita's flight had been canceled that day, so he wasn't able to make it. He oh. had to film the next day, so okay. he was a part of like our roundtable. Right. But I couldn't think of a better group of guys than, than the ones that they had gathered for that. It was really, really good. It was just such an honor. And I love this series. Like I, I'm a fan of even the dark side, but it's true. It, it, dark side is a bit, you know, it's dark. No pun intended. Like you know dark. what I mean. <laughs> uh, but dark. Tales from the Territories, that whole series was about again you wrestlers coming in and just talking about the old days, reminiscing, telling funny stories. Yeah, some are tragic, but at the same time, these guys were having a good time, and you could tell by the smiles on your faces. Like even towards the end, I think you even said to yourself that you were about to tear up because of all the great memories. You know what I mean? So. Like, why can't we tell, like, everyone loves the dark and the gritty stuff of wrestling. Why not tell the lighter side of wrestling sometimes? You know what I mean? Because it doesn't sell. I know, but... It always does. I mean, mean, like, look at the news. I mean, 99% of it is is bad news. It's true. And horrible and tragic and and every. Nobody wants to listen to the happy, fun times. They want to get in the grit and the things that nobody knows. It's just human nature. It, it is. is. It's so true, and it's so sad. So, okay, yeah, so you brought up two of the stories already that were mentioned on this episode. Okay, first, the storyline with yourself and Cornette. There's so much to unpackage here. Okay, let's start off with this. What was your... Your involvement with Cornette, was that like one of the first and original intergender, which is now known, like, wrestling matches? Ah, I don't know. Because some other things, I think Cornette had already had his run in Dallas, like right before okay. that. So I, I think that, and see, they had like with Jimmy Garvin and Precious mm. working with uh, with David Von Erich. So there had been a little bit right before that. I don't think physical and like with the six mans and like I mean I don't think any girl tagged up with the road warriors right I got to team up with Dusty and Magnum and the Rock and Roll Express oh, I had awesome. like 24 matches at the at the 86 bashes so there there were a few of them Oh my goodness, okay, so back to Cornette again. Okay, so this angle, like you said, driving away, where you guys talked about it, where you could literally decapitated him. Like, did that even go through your mind? Like, because again, he mentioned it, that you you go on the side, you don't go on the side of caution because then it looks fake, so to speak. So you always go full throttle, again, no pun intended. But was it ever in your mind that you could have honestly hurt him? Oh, no, it was... (laughs) 
Whenever we were doing the vignette and and the whole thing, they were supposed to like hit the side of the truck to let me know that I'm supposed to take off. Well, I couldn't just like granny take off. I mean, you really have to like gun it, you know, take off. (laughs) But I didn't know, you know, here's Cornette's like kicking and struggling. Well, when he's kicking and struggling, I thought that that was a cue to take off and they were not ready at all. So it, it was just about like 20 seconds off, you know, just that. And see, I've looked in the rear view mirror, and I see, like, Dennis and Bobby, right. like, running toward the truck. So I thought that was it. But, yeah, ah. that could have been really bad. Oh but it looks really good, so. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, how about and this? we got a good story about it. <laughs> exactly. And when it was presented to you, were you ever skeptical? And you're like, this is going a little too far. Like, I don't want to be involved in this type of storyline. <laughs> Oh no! I I never. I don't think I ever once said I didn't want to do that. I mean, I'm not the one getting tang, uh, tied up. That's I'm true, not the true. one that's going to possibly get. I'm just the driver. So yeah, I was all for it. I'll, I'm happy to be a part of it and ha- and getting to be the spot and making good paychecks. I'm not gonna. I don't think I ever once said no. I'm not going to do that because everything was presented like really professionally. Everything made sense. Right, you know, it just it just did so. And again, that was back then. Can you imagine trying to pull something off or any of those sort of like storylines and stuff like that in today's product? Like, you know what I'm like? Even with Cornette punching you in the stomach and saying what he was saying afterwards, like obviously not word for word, but something like, "Oh, good, she can't have any kids anyway. She shouldn't be reproducing." Like, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that, you would not get away with today. Yeah, that was, I mean, Cornette was probably the hardest one that I ever had to work with because his promos were just brutal. I mean, from stopping in the baby moose department and, (laughs) you know, calling me fat and ugly and the whole thing. It was like, wow, that, that, that hurt me. I mean, that was, you know, you're in the back going, wow, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) So, you know, it, it was hurtful. I mean, Cornette can certainly shoot a promo that hurts. I look at it this yeah. way. I think the July of 86, okay. we both made more money than we ever did ever in the business. I think Cornette wow. said that on the run that we had with the Bash, he made more right. money than he did with anybody else. So I, I am very happy with that. Oh, that's awesome. And you also brought up the pregnant woman thing where you almost could have potentially punched a woman as hard as you could in the stomach while she was pregnant. Like these fan interactions. That was was hard to do promos because I'm, I'm a big believer in jinxing and karma and the whole thing. Oh, And so I'm going, ah, I don't want to jinx it where I, you know, God gets mad at me and okay, I'll show you. You'll never have kids. So I, with the promos and stuff, it was I, I kept messing up because I I was just like I don't know if I want to say this, you know. But I did, and it worked. So, oh my goodness! Okay, how about any other crazy fan interactions throughout the years? Oh my gosh, um, I've had everyone. Uh, I've had some interesting ones from uh, like barbecuing and okay. well, grilling in Charlotte and having the grill set up and doing some steaks. And the upstairs neighbor coming down with a couple of hamburger patties and saying, hey, can I borrow your grill? Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've never had that happen before. To uh, a girl jumped a railing in Greensboro and ripped my dress. And oh my God. Uh, I thought it was a guy because I had a flannel shirt on and jeans <laughs> and boots and really short hair. Right. And whenever I had flipped them over and I was like beating them up on the concrete, the police are pulling us apart. Um, whenever I saw the person in the back of the cop car, they're like, 
I'll, I'll, I'll clean her house. I'll do whatever. <laughs> just, just don't arrest me. Don't arrest me. And it's a girl. And oh my goodness. I'm like, why are you doing this? So, and then I had like the sailor in, in Hampton, Virginia that, okay. that hit me. And oh. then I turn around and, and Tolly is just waylaying. I'm beating the crap out of him, of kicking him and hitting him. And don't you touch her. She's <laughs> mine. Right. You know, uh, she's my girl. And, and how dare you hit a woman? And exactly. so then I got mad because I actually like touched my chest and looked down and there's blood on my hand. What? So then I'm like going like, you son of a bitch. I just, I went to town on them. They separate <laughs> us out. Good for you. They arrested him. And I found out later, like the MPs came and got right. him and he was actually kicked out of the Navy for hitting a female. Really? So Look at he that. lost his Navy career. Good. And then I had the pregnant woman in Fayetteville right. that whenever I had the 30 days with Dusty, part of the, the end of the match with him was that he would put the bull rope around my neck and drag me back to the dressing room because I didn't want to be with them. Crazy. You know, so he had to like physically pull me back. Well, yeah. he's pulling me and then a woman grabbed my hair. <gasps> I didn't know it was a woman at the time, but someone yeah. like grabbed like a big handful of my hair. Okay. So I'm like going one way with Dusty and one way with a fan and I'm not going to get separated. I'm not Solomon's baby. So <laughs> uh, I, I looked back and, and like I had my fist and it was yeah. just like, I was like, as hard as I could, I was like going to hit him. And I noticed like someone standing on the chair. Okay. Well, then they turn and my fist is actually head, headed for their stomach. Oh. And it was a pregnant woman. I'm like, oh my gosh, it was like the cartoon, like the, yeah. you know, stopped. And I just barely tapped her. So thank oh goodness, God. you know, I did that. But I'm thinking, man, if you grab someone by their hair, right? you know, what do you expect them to do? But there was a lot. There was, crazy. you know, I got spit on and, oh. and punched and hit and so just crazy. It was rough. It was really rough. Oh my goodness. Okay. Now, now again, back to vice and tales from the territories. How long was all that whole session? Well, I'm assuming that was like a full day. And was there any stories that were cut that you guys also talked about? Oh my God. Yeah, there was a lot. Oh, with ours, Cause okay. we sat down for, um, we were there eight hours. We oh, were actually wow. on camera eight hours. Okay. We did, we did four hours and then we broke for like an hour for lunch. Okay. And then we, we followed up with four more hours and it was really cool. Cause the producers had like stories that they, had heard of before gotcha. um, Cornette helped a lot with you know what we should talk about and different things because he was the one that brought up the you know the deal where we took off in the pickup and and different things like that right um there was quite a bit that we talked about that didn't that didn't make the production how about any crazy stories or angles from other territories like world class or anything that you have you know you've never really brought up Oh my gosh, see, like world class, I was so new oh, and okay. so just uh, absorbing everything. Mm. It was, and, and I was there just such a short amount of time. Um, okay, understand. I don't think that, I think that like tales, the, like the dark side about Gino, mm. I learned a lot. I mean, oh. I learned more from that one hour episode of Gino wow. than I did the whole time I was there because I had no idea he was married. I had no idea he had kids. Oh. Um, I knew okay. somewhat about the double life, but I didn't know like how much of a double because he actually didn't have a double life. He had like four lives going on. Wow. I didn't know that his mom, you know, uh, like going to the matches there in Houston. I had always heard that he was like Paul Bosch's son, which turned out to not be true. <laughs> and I think I think I've learned more from the. Uh, tales of the territory like the the dark side that i ever right. knew being in the business and i was right there 
crazy. So okay, so how about one of not it's to say that was your the best one, but one of your favorite or most memorable angles throughout the years then? Even if it's one that you've already mentioned. Um, the best angle I think that I was ever involved with was Magnum and Tully. Just oh, though okay. they they hated each other. They they I don't want to say that they hated each other back then, but they were both vying for that top spot. Of course. They were both vying for like Dusty's attention. Yep. There was a bunch of animosity between the two of them. I think from the very start that they just really just didn't like each other. Whenever they um we were building up to the Starcade match when they hit each other, they hit each other. Um, and to me, I think the the I Quit match is probably one of the best matches ever mm. in professional wrestling. And just the whole build up to it, everything made sense. Everything worked. There was so much animosity between Tully and Magnum that it went beyond what you saw on TV right. and then everybody had their part because I don't think that it would have worked the same if I wasn't there. And it certainly wouldn't have worked if there was anyone different than Tully and Magnum. It was just so perfect. Oh my, okay. How about this growing up or even while you were in the business, uh, an angle that you weren't involved in that you just were like, Oh, that's also perfection. Um, Oh my gosh. There's so much. I mean, I, I grew up, I mean, I, I loved watching wrestling, even though my parents, you know, you know, my parents were involved in it, but I absolutely loved wrestling. I remember like sitting on the edge of the, my bed watching 605 Georgia Championship Wrestling. Okay. My mom walking by and like, why are you watching wrestling? <laughs> mom, I love it. I love it. And she just kind of gave me this weird look like, oh, okay. I mean, I grew up like watching Dory and Terry Funk. Uh, Ricky Romero, Cyclone Negro, uh, King Curtis Ikea. Oh, wow. I got to carry the snake down, or I carried the snake back from the ring for the Sheik. Um, Andre the Giant came into Lubbock at, at least once a year. We got the world's champion twice a year. Mm. Um, it was just, people ask me, like, who's my favorite wrestler? To this day, Terry Funk is, like, oh, my wow. all-time favorite. Because I everything he did was just so over the top and so believable. And it was, I mean, if anyone had a perfect childhood with wrestling, it was me. So it was, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I can actually say like one thing. Cause there was so many. Okay. How about this to narrow it down? Favorite territory. Out of all of everything. Yeah. Uh, see, I know Crockett from like 85 to 80, 88 was absolutely perfect but then also world class with von erics against freebirds mm. you don't get much better than that that is so true okay now how about on to today's product are you are you enjoying it do you watch it do you keep up with any of it my husband hates it but i uh I watch a lot of wrestling. I, I okay. even if I wasn't involved in it like I am today, I'd right. still be watching the product. I watch as much as I can whenever I can. My daughter is involved with NWA. Okay, she's uh, been working with them really solid since like August of last year. Nice. She's in, in fact that we were late today because I had to drive her down to Charlotte <laughs> so that she could catch a flight to Tampa because she's on her. The two days that they're doing TV down in Tampa, mm. um, NWA has got an excellent product, especially they with do. the females. Um, with the women, they are above and beyond. I think what anybody else is doing, even 
in comparison to WWE and AEW, um, NWA is doing marvelous featuring their female athletes. They've got some really, really good, good workers from Camille, who's their NWA champion. Um, And such a respect. I respect her so much. She looks so good going into the ring. She takes such a care of her body Mm. and she really takes pride in being our champion. And then AEW is like almost a complete 180. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just different, <laughs> and it's fun to watch them. And then of course you've got WWE with uh, you know they've got a hundred girls on their roster. Right. So everything is different. Everything is good. I'm very happy for there. There's so many people working in mm-hmm. wrestling right now and making money and with merch and shows and everything. It's just a really fun time. It really is. And again, it's a fun time because like how you said it, everyone is uh, has a place to go work now, whereas with TV and stuff like that, I mean, because obviously there's always been indies and territories, but now like there's more than enough places where the guys and girls could go and be on TV. And you brought it up too, like tons of women everywhere where they're featured and they have their own right. gimmick matches now, their own pay-per-view at one point, like all this fun stuff. And it's like, it's true. Like, I don't, I hate that narrow mindedness where, and you still see it, unfortunately, on some cases, because you see it on Twitter where some people bring it up where, oh, if a promotion has one girls match, that, that's enough. We don't need more. And it's like, why? What are you talking about? Do you say that about tag team? Do you say that about this? Do you say, like, you don't. Right. So if it's good and it makes sense, who cares how many of them are on, on the, on the card, right. right? And then you got TNA had, um, oh gosh, and I can't remember, uh, Victoria. Yeah. Oh, yes. Was, of course. Um, I mean, she was on there, and she's she just turned like fifty. I think she's fifty one, and they featured her. Crazy, that right? is amazing, and I'm so happy because they're not ageist and they're not sexist. If you're good, they're going to put you in the ring, and yes. you're going to work, and that's that's great because she looks great. She look. Uh, I mean, why not? I mean, it looks and see, I've got you know, I, I'm going to be working with Ricky and Carrie Morton, Morton coming up uh, nice. for Mid Atlantic Territory Wrestling on uh, March the 18th in Virginia. Um, I'm going to be walking down to the ring with them. They're going to awesome. be going against the Extreme Horsemen, um, Preston Quinn and CW Wright. They've got uh, CW's got his girl Brittany on this side, <laughs> so we're going to be uh, working in that on March the 18th. And then I've got another appearance with uh, Ricky and Robert oh. of the Rock and Roll Express for ASW for Gary Dameron up in West Virginia on April the 15th. So it's it's great. I mean, Territories Wrestling is coming back, Love it. which it really didn't go away, but it's it's getting more noticed. And then you've got the big territories. So it's 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 a good time. If you're a professional wrestler, you can definitely get work. Well, and then even like the so-called cons and where uh, gatherings and stuff where fans could come greet and meet and talk to you guys and get signatures and pictures and stuff. And even stuff like this, like podcasting and listening to like the old stories and even the up and comers and stuff like that. Like I just like everyone talks about their golden age of wrestling. I think we're sort of starting a new golden age of wrestling. Right, right. Yeah. We've got the, uh, of course we've got the gathering in Charlotte, the first uh, week of August. And then we've got WrestleCade, which is the uh, Thanksgiving weekend with Tracy Myers with his promotion and see they with AML with his promotion, they promote shows monthly on that. So it's just, it's a good time. It really is. And, and if you want to work, there's work out there. No, no doubt. Okay. How about this? What's something that you miss from the olden days that's not incorporated in today's product that you think would actually work? Oh my gosh. I don't know. 
I, I, I really, I think we've taken everything from like the mid eighties and early nineties and just, you know, like the spinal tap movie, how they say that why go to 10, go to 11. Right. I think we've gone to 11. <laughs> I think so. Because yeah, like right. with, uh, with fan fests and, and the legends, uh, reunions and things like that, mm. that was a f- unheard of in the eighties. We could have never done that. Right. And those are so popular now. And I, I love doing, I love doing the reunions and the fan fest is, is the time for, not only for all of us to get together, like all the wrestlers to get together and see everybody, but it's also time for us to, I like listening to the fans and listening mm, to their stories sure. and, and hearing about like sitting on the, on the couch with the grandparents and <laughs> the grandma getting so mad that she'd shut off the TV and swear she'd never watch TV wrestling again. Right? But then the following week, she's right there, you know, <laughs> watching on the edge of the couch. Um, it's, it's, it's so much fun for me. It, it's just, it's wonderful. How about the other way around? What's something that you wish in today's product was available back to you, to your era? Um, I think the merchandising, because back whenever I was there, we didn't have, they didn't sell our t-shirts and pictures Mm. and things like that. And, and looking back, I think that's where Crockett really dropped the ball and let WWF pass them was in the merchandising because we never thought like whenever WWF came out with the wrestling ring and the little action figures, Mm -hmm. a lot of us were like, nobody's going to buy a ring. Nobody's going to buy dolls. But then they (laughs) sold like 3 million the first weekend for a lot of us during Crow because we had no idea that that's what it was going to go for. I mean, you had Rock and Roll Express and Magnum and Dusty selling merch, but like, like Heels really didn't get to sell merch because it was unheard of i think if we had done more merchandising back then maybe crockett would have would have definitely gone a different direction than what they did so i would say merchandising like the like merchandising ourselves and and even from t-shirts and posters and things like that I, i i wish i'd done more of that See, well, that was the thing back in the day. Unless you had a TV deal in place, the only way you would generate profit was selling out every time. And how hard is that to do on a regular basis? You know what I mean? It, a lot of promoting. I mean, uh, my dad was very uh, successful at it, but then it was a full-time job from, right? like, Monday to Saturday. He, he had a routine of, like, writing a program and getting the program set off so that we would have it the day before the show so that we'd have like 450 programs to sell, um, you know, go into, you know, like if we were going to a new town, he would spot like the, the radio station, you could find the radio tower oh. and that's where he would go oh, wow. you know, to Look get his that. radio spots and TV yeah. spots and things like that. It was, um, you definitely uh, had to promote the show. Otherwise no one would know you were there and nobody would make any money. So that's true. It was it was just a totally different time, especially without the big TV deals. So again, you mentioned it. Your daughter's in the NWA currently, third generation. So what's some of yes. the wisdom you've bestowed upon her? Because obviously you didn't let her go in cold, so you, I'm assuming, helped her up getting into it and even with training and stuff like that. What's some of the key things that you've told her to watch out or to even know about? Mm-hmm. Well, 
when when my girls were growing up, we really didn't watch wrestling that much oh, because at okay. that time it was like the Attitude Era oh, and gotcha. the direction that they were going with the girls uh, and yeah. and it was it was not something that I wanted my daughters to see because I didn't think, want them thinking that that's what I had done. Mm. Which for those girls, that's fine. I mean that that's what they did. They certainly made their marks on it, but yep. um, it wasn't something that I wanted them thinking that their mom had taken part of. You know? <laughs> sure. You have to hold yourself up to a higher level. Um, so we really didn't watch. My daughter started, um, I was living in Joplin, Missouri at the time, okay. and I had an opportunity to go to Tampa for um, a reunion show. I actually walked down to the ring with Jared. Uh, and AJ. Oh, wow. Okay. And they, they took the trip with me and they got to see like, for the first time like a wrestling show and, and get to, see, to do that. And they got to meet Jake. They got to meet their uncle Jake. <laughs> um, and then a short time after that, I moved to Fayetteville okay. and started like doing indie shows and just like being on rosters and just going. Well, my daughter was Samantha. Um, she w- went to like 90% of the events with me and will work my merch table and just make the road trips. You know, it was kind of a fun thing to do with mom. So for maybe five years, she just was on the road with me and I, I taught her how to sell merch and, and finishes and shows and she got to see everything and meet people and, and kind of put it together on her own. I mean, I, I raised my girls to hold their selves up and high esteem and if you don't respect yourself nobody else will right and um i think a lot of like my standards rubbed off on them that way you know you don't do something that you're going to regret or embarrass be embarrassed about later no it's so true okay before we wrap this up there's a few things i just want to know quickly Okay, now, okay. with myself, looking back, because I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so looking back at the style back then, it hasn't aged that very well. When you're watching these old tapes and you see your old hairstyles and wardrobe, are you, like, cringing or you're like, yeah, I look like a badass? I still have the same hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I, I think that, <sighs> except for maybe some of the really bright, like, Easter egg pant jumpsuits that I sure. wore. See, that was one of the things. That was one of the biggest challenges of being baby doll. Was okay. we didn't have ring, we didn't have stairs going up to the rings at, oh. at a lot of the events. Okay. That I would actually have to jump up into a ring that was like chest high. Right. Well, how do you do that without showing everything to everybody and giving them way more than what they paid for? Right. So, uh, black la- back black spandex was my friend. I wore a lot of black spandex uh, because it was very forgiving and you could jump up and if you got pushed down or, you know, it had to, it had to do a spot, you know, different things that, you know, I, I wasn't going to reveal myself to everybody because that was, that was one of the things too, was that I didn't never want anyone going back to my parents and going, you would not oh, believe what your daughter did. Right. I, I didn't want to shame my family that way. No, that's awesome. So um, I had to, uh, I was very fortunate to find a seamstress that uh, was able to make a lot of my clothes. Right. And uh, she actually went on to do a bunch of stuff for Boss Man and Larry Zabisco. Oh, nice. I think Barbarian's wife went over to her house and they were doing (laughs) some stuff for Barbarian. And it was, it was just fun, you know, and, and going to the fabric store and picking out stuff and, 
and and design because a lot of the stuff I wore, I designed myself. So it was oh, kind of fun. That's cool. Because I was going to ask that too. Because again, that era was a rock and roll era. Was there any inspiration you pulled for, from that era? I wore Motley Crue bandanas oh. because I really liked Vince <laughs> Neil. Okay. And I thought if I wore Motley Crue bandanas that they would see me and go, hey, maybe we'd like to meet her. But oh, yeah, that a- never happened. <laughs> hey, you never know. It's Well, in today's especially, because now it's all pop culture related. You like you, you see yeah. the crossovers oh, all the time, see, right? And see, that was whenever I first did the vignette with okay. Tully and I came down to Looks at Kill, they were going to do Bob Seger's um, watch her strut. Oh, and I was like, uh, I think I've got something better. And I actually had the cassette tape, an actual cassette tape, and a Walkman. Mm. I was like, here, listen to this, and it was a looks at kill, and they loved it. So they switched their idea with that, and we went with looks at kill. So that was that was part of my deal. Oh my God, uh, this has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so very much for joining me today. Plug whatever you want to promote. Anything, the floor is all yours. Well, right now, of course, um, my daughter, Samantha Starr, and NWA. Um, NWA is on YouTube. I've done a couple events with them. You can you can uh, watch that, but especially my daughter, Samantha Starr. I've got Mid-Atlantic Territory Wrestling on March the 18th in uh, Virginia. I'll be walking to the ring with in uh, West Virginia. I'll be on the very, very last match that the Rock and Roll Express will appear in. In West Virginia, I'll be walking down to the ring with them on April the 15th. So those are two of my dates coming up, the most recent things. How about social media? And Do you want anyone to reach out to you? Do you interact with fans as well? Oh, I, I love interacting. It's, I've got Facebook and Twitter. I'm very active in both of those. Just uh, type in my, my real name, my shoot name, Nicola, N-I-C-K-L-A. And uh, I'm on there every day. That's awesome. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us. And you got to send me a shirt. You got you got to send me a shirt for being on your show. <laughs> Not a problem. Sale. I'll take it. <laughs> you can email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, most definitely helps me out. Please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. And if this is the first time you are listening to an episode of the podcast, Please go back and listen to older episodes. I've had people from the wrestling world, up and coming wrestlers, current stars on TV, legends like Nikita Koloff and Les Thatcher. So please check out some old episodes. One last question before I let you go. Curiosity here. Who is, in your opinion, on the Mount Rushmore of valets of professional wrestling? Okay, so um, of course myself, um, Sunshine, um, Missy Hyatt. Yep. And uh, Miss Elizabeth. Oh, see, that's pretty close to mine. Mine, I got Elizabeth, Missy Hyatt, yourself. And then I'm going to throw, even though she was a a great wrestler too. But again, I grew up in this era and I saw her valet work more. Sensational or Scary Sherry. She was fantastic as well. Right. See, I put her over more as a wrestler. I knew Uh, her more as a wrestler. But yeah, she definitely both ways and 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 such a sweetheart and had such really really good matches with uh my sister-in-law rock and robin oh and also i have to put dark journey in there dark journey was was really good and a pioneer 
for uh, being a um, for her. I mean, that was for for someone that had never been in the business and had never really been involved in wrestling to be able to do what she did. I mean, she was she was stellar, also. Awesome. On that note, she's Baby Doll. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. Thank you.